Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 88. Matt Spitwood is a thought leadership and a personal branding expert and was the CEO of a social network. With over 30 years of entrepreneurial experience, he has been credited with the reinvention of the modern camera store, as well as the country's largest in-store photography education program. However, his greatest achievement is having raised five successful children to adulthood as a single dad. He is a life and business coach and is a regular contributor on national TV and to several publications. He has a best-selling self-help book, Leader of the Pack, How a Single Dad of Five Led His Kids, His Business, and himself from disaster to success. Matt Sweetwood, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi, how are you? It is a pleasure for me to be here, and thanks for having me on. Hmm, Thank you for being here. I'm great. I'm so excited. I was waiting for this chat. I just shared with our audience what you've done until now. I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Okay, so um, I ran a company for 28 years. I, I, you know, it was quite an adventure. Reinvented that business several times. Uh, exited that business successfully. You know, that means you sold it. Sure. Um, a few years ago. We are talking right? to entrepreneurs. That's the word they really know. That's right. Right. I'm not one of those people that really wants to die behind the desk of the company I started. You know, many years ago. Yeah. I'm not interested. I like to move on. Um, in the last two years, I actually got to be uh, the CEO of a social media network, a startup, and then published my book. And now what really excites me is to take those 30 years of experience and I coach executive CEOs typically and I consult companies. And it's a very exciting thing to do because you get to walk into new places all the time, you know, really use your brain, get paid to use your brain. And, you know, really make a difference. As a matter of fact, one of the companies that I came into about two years ago uh, was really on the brink, you know, really on the edge. Uh, I don't want to say going out of business, but they were really in trouble. And in two years, we were able to turn that company around and they just sold. The owners of that company were able to sell the company in a nice way. So it's that kind of uh, excitement in doing that. In addition to that, I, I write. You know, my book, Leader of the Pack, just came out. Wow. So congratulations. We would like to put a link to the book. Absolutely. Well, they can just go to msweetwood.com and they can actually see the book there or go on Amazon, of course. You can just look up Leader of the Pack. Um, I write for Entrepreneur Magazine. I am a speaker. I speak all over the place on leadership and personal branding and entrepreneurship and some spiritual topics, too. I, I kind of like to do that. And I'm having a really good time. I live in New York and... Uh, you know, really being in the business world and being in a diverse business world, 
where you know so one company I consult is a nonprofit, a large nonprofit. Another is a yeah. manufacturing and distribution company, and then another is a little bit larger company, sort of a conglomerate. So it's you know that sort of diversity is really exciting. As a matter of fact, I think I'm about to get another a startup actually as a consulting uh, client, which really is very interesting to me. It is very interesting, and I wanted to ask you: you're not working only with startups, isn't it? No, definitely not. I, I like startups. I think startups are a lot of fun, you know, because it's the uh, it's a little bit of playing the lottery. You know, with a startup, the likelihood of failure is high, but if it succeeds, you know the sky's the limit. It is. And um, what what was the company that um you worked twenty four years in? What was it about? what was what kind of company? It was a we started out as a distributor of photographic supplies. Oh. And for those of your audience, you know, let's say over thirty something years old, <laughs> uh, that means we sold that means we sold film. For those people like under 30 who probably have no idea what film is, yeah. um, <laughs> we actually sold other businesses. So we sold small camera stores, we sold uh, independent drug stores, we sold gift shops and so on, you know, photographic supplies and accessories. Um, eventually, I changed that business into more of a B2C business when the small stores here in the state started going out of business. Yeah. And we started selling professional photographers, applying a very, very high service model to an industry, to a customer base that was not used to that. Um, we very quickly, I would say within three, three, four years, became the largest seller of professional photographers in the United States. Wow. By uh, the turn of the century. I always wanted to say that in an in a interview, by the way. Get to say turn of the century. Yeah, it is. It's like, it sounds great. Yeah, get to, I feel so important when I use that phrase. <laughs> turn of the century I um, we would had a five share which meant that my company sold five percent of all the rolls of films sold in the United States yeah um, and now as I enter into for your younger audience who probably doesn't know well film disappeared by you know mid 2000 2005 six seven eight it was basically gone sure. and so my business almost went out of business and in particular all of the small stores that we were selling and even the photographers were challenged. You know, photographers, Uncle John, you know, or I should say, since I'm doing this interview, you know, Uncle Yitzhak, yeah. um, or y- Uncle Ben Huda, right? Yeah, you, but um, you should know it. that most of our listeners are, are from the States, from 50, oh, okay, 50, okay. 50 different countries, but mainly from okay, the fair. States. I feel I wanted to give it a little bit of, a, you know, an Israeli flavor. It I is, just, it I is. Just, I felt, okay, so let's stick with Uncle Joe. So your Uncle Joe can photograph your wedding with a digital camera. The photographers became challenged. The camera stores in the United States went from 10,000 to a few thousand to a few hundred. All of our customers were going out of business. Our film business was going away. So I sat there, you know, five kids to feed and a few ex-wives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had to do something. And so what I ended up doing, believe it or not, was opening a camera store. Oh. So when all the camera stores were basically gone and the ones that existed, most of them were failing. I opened the camera store, but had a brand new idea for that camera store. Yeah. And yeah. it actually was a very successful idea. It's actually a successful retail strategy, which allows me now to go around and speak and consult on how to fix your retail store and how to make any kind of retail market successful. And so within five years of opening that store, we became the third largest single location store in the country. And essentially every camera store that runs today runs off that model that I created for our store. What, what were the few uh, words, what was unique about this model? Okay, so in, if you know the way an electronics or a camera store is basically an electronics store, 
worked in the past, it was a very salesy environment. Basically, the salespeople are there to part you from as much money as you can when you walk in the door, and that's kind of the way it went. I changed that retail to an experiential model. As an example, the people who worked behind the counter were no longer salespeople. They were photographers themselves. So our store oozed photography. It was about the experience of photography. I merchandised the cameras like they were jewelry. It isn't like the store where you have used equipment lying around and sort of like junk stores, which old camera stores tend to look like. In addition to that, I created an education program and we started teaching photography. Within a year, I had a thousand people running through my classes a month. And that that replaced the re- that created the repeat business to the store, but more importantly, it created a fundamental change in the retail environment, because instead of that adver- adversarial salesperson customer interaction, we became their teachers, their mentors, their experience providers, and my classes weren't just sit in front of a, a blackboard and watch somebody teach you photography. We would have live photo shoots. We'd bring in models. We would do excursions to zoos, to botanical gardens, to sporting events, do all sorts of crazy things, the balloon festivals. Mm. And so when you came in our store, it became about the joy of photography. And my salespeople were not salespeople. They were educators. And that fundamentally changed the relationship and essentially built the business and reinvigorated the entire camera store model. It, it sounds so great because actually it sounds like you... Um... You invented the social media uh, way of engaging and interacting just without the social media. Yeah, that's right. It, it becomes a two-way conversation wow. instead of a one-way conversation. And you're engaging people in a way that makes them feel good. It's very interesting because I think today, and I think we both have been in the world of you know, uh, TV and print, and, and suddenly this social media came and everything is about engagement. And And I think it's terrific. And you did it uh, much earlier in understanding the, the, the power of the one-on-one interaction. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of can be simply said like this. A tip, the old-style retail environment, the customer comes in the store and the salesperson says, what can I sell you today? Sure. In my store, a person came in and we asked them, how can we help you take better pictures? Hmm. That's the question. Beautiful. And many times it's teaching them how to use what they have in a better way. And when you do that for a customer, when you say, look, we're not going to sell you a new lens today, we're going to show you how to take a better picture with the camera you have, that person goes out and tells the world. Sure. And he will come, and he will come back when he wants and you, when he will look for a new camera, for sure. Or when he looks for an accessory or he becomes better at taking pictures and then needs additional equipment. So that model actually resulted in about 80 percent of our new business coming from referral. Well, sounds terrific. And then you decided to actually sell your business, and you are today an advisor or consultant or coach. And I want to ask, you know, this podcast is all about entrepreneurship and mostly about customer approach and focus. So the story that you just told us is really about that. And I want to ask you, what would be, um, what is your best advice about approaching the customers to entrepreneurs? Okay, so it's really this piece of advice translated in the most general terms, is that when you approach a customer, it should be, how can I serve you? 
not how can I get your money from you. And the second in today's world that a customer loses trust in you and feels that you're about the money. Mm -hmm. Look, I have a famous saying, whenever somebody says it's not about the money, it's always about the money. Okay, mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite sayings. You know, the one they say, oh, it's not about the money. Well, it is about the money. Mm -hmm. But you have to care about your customer or your client first. And you do it in an authentic way, not in a way like we've all been in a retail store or a restaurant or even we've had a consultant come in where they're sitting there and they're heaping false praise on you and they're sort of talking. But you can sense that they just don't believe they just want to sort of convince you. If you, if you do that, you're not going to be successful. You have to build a business that authentically tries to solve customers' problems and service them. If you do that, they will come to you. It's as simple as that. For sure. And uh, again, it's something that we talk a lot about now with the social media, but we didn't talk so much about it, or, or most businesses didn't talk so much about it earlier when it was like the uh, brick and mortar stores. So it's very interesting. I want to ask you, I know you have many successes and we'll get to that in a minute, but I would like to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial or your business journey the most or one of them? Can you share that with us? Yeah. Um, so in my business, in the camera business, you're working off a very, very low margin. And as a result, you don't have a lot of price flexibility. And so one of the obstacles that we would always face in our store, and even we had a big distribution business still too, you know, mail order business as they called it, or phone order or internet order business, was the, was the willingness to sometimes lower the price. Because you're balancing to run an operation like I had, it was expensive. You have sure. to have you know, a significant facility, your overhead is high. And the margin in the business is very, very low. So you would be continually faced with a dilemma of customers coming in and saying to you, hey, we love what you do. We're here. We want to buy from you. But if we go to dot, 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 dot com, you know, or we go to this place, they're going to, will you match the price? And to me, that was always the biggest dilemma that we would face in our store. And this is a very difficult balance because on one hand, you can't blame the customer. The customer is saying, come on, this is an open information society. You know, everybody, it's the same Canon or Nikon or Panasonic camera. That's the issue, yeah. Right, it's the theoretically, not always, by the way. I'm oversimplifying. Many times it's not. There are a lot of unscrupulous merchants out there. And so you sit there with this sort of having to, and here's the dilemma. The dilemma is less whether you match the price or not, is really the one-on-one -on -one process because that you have to engage in to determine whether you're willing to do that or not. And there's a lot of factors that go into play. For example, if the customer is a regular customer of yours, you want to hold him so you're more likely to do it. If he's telling you that someplace in Brooklyn, you know, has a lower price and you know that they're a scam outfit, you're not going to match the price. So you're trying to massage the customer, you know, into you try to do that without bad mouthing the other place. So you're back and then you sort of look at how much margin they have in the product, how hard it is to replace the product. And then you're trying to do this and have people who are, I told you, who are not salespeople, they're photographers, trying to negotiate this with customers on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You can't apply an algorithm. There's no computer program you can write to do this. So this is, was sort of the biggest challenge that we would face with customers is how to do this 
and maintain volume and quality and customer service and all of those things. Pricing was always the driving factor in the difficulty. And can you tell us uh, of one failure, really failure, not only a dilemma, something that didn't go well with a customer? With a, Do you remember? Yeah, with a customer. Um, yeah, we've had this happen several, we've actually had this kind of thing happen several times where we've brought in a product that was um, even maybe from a major vendor. Yeah. And, and this was a, this was a, a, a would, would cause a failure where we would really have, unfortunately, would have to lose the customer is the product, let's oh. say, was defective, but it wasn't clear how the product became defective. And you're talking, you know, it could be a $10,000 camera. A customer comes in and says the camera doesn't work. We say, okay, we try to apply the warranty. The, the vendor says the camera was damaged. The customer says, I didn't damage it. I took it out. We've had that happen several times. And that's a situation where sometimes you end up losing the customer because you can sell that customer for 10 years and not make $10,000. And so your choice is to you know, eat the $10,000 or do something. So along the way, it actually happens a little bit more than I would like to Um, you know, like to remember, I should say. Hmm. Did you find any way to um, actually make it better or to solve it? Yeah. Or there wasn't any solution to that? Yeah, you try to. You'll say, okay, look, we'll pay for the repair of the camera. You try to do it. You try to settle with them, trade it and do something. But many times the customers are like, look, no, I bought a new $10,000 camera, you know, and they stand by it. Or, you know, it, could, it also happens where they say things are missing and, you know, you don't think they're missing. So you have these sort of customer service interactions, you know, which there's really no solution. Sometimes you solve them. Usually solution requires, you know, us losing money on it if we don't want to lose the customer. And like I said, we're a low margin business, so it's a very, very tough thing to do. And, you know, in today's Internet world, if you don't satisfy the customer and he feels he's not satisfied, you know, he does. Yeah, everybody. He goes out onto the Internet sure. and starts talking about it. That's right. Now. I would like you to share with us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customer. Um, okay. So, and I'm going to sort of, I'm going to answer this by saying it was sort of something we created and it worked. Um, so, like I said, I opened this camera store. We opened the camera store. This was back in 2008. I, yeah, 2008. We opened the camera store. Everybody thought I was nuts, by the way. Uh, yeah, I can understand that. Are, right. They're like, you're, you're investing money in a camera store. And it was a big store. It was a big investment, sort of the last pennies we had kind of thing. Even oh. my, you know, people working with me thought I was crazy. They thought you were crazy or stupid or both, I guess. <laughs> um, I opened this store right in the middle of... Of when the stock market here crashed in 2008 you remember it well well yeah we remember it well so I opened like you know it was not a godly moment God did not smile on me no but I believed in my education concept and yeah customers we started talking to customers and customers started talking to us about having well-known photographers come in and teach and But we were nobody at that time. I couldn't do that. The vendors necessarily wouldn't supply. And so what I said is, I said, okay, this is what my customers want. I need to make this happen. And I flew around. I did what I needed to do. And I convinced Canon. I went to the person who runs their, their actually photographer program. And I convinced him to give us one of their best photographers. Yeah. But he basically told me that if I didn't deliver a large enough crowd for him, I was finished. He didn't say it so meanly, 
but that was, <laughs> was that I had, he's like, who are you? You're, you know, you're, you guys, we don't usually give these photographers to camera stores. They, we pay them to go out and, you know, teach and do stuff. Um, but I'm going to do it for you. And he goes, I'm coming to the event to check it out. So mm. after some convincing and everything, we ended up um, getting a photographer by the name of Art Wolf. Um, yeah. Many people may know of him. He's a very, very famous nature photographer. Um, and I worked very, very hard marketing, social media, using my personal brand, um, doing all sorts of things to actually fill a room up. Um, we started getting very, very heavy registration. And I ended up delivering about 700 people in an auditorium, which we had to take wow. off site. The news showed up. We had like this unbelievably successful event, which set the standard and set the mood and the publicity for my education Fantastic. program in a way that built. I think really that set us off to building what was the largest photography education program in the country. It's so great because, you know, I think there is such um, a history and just an interesting story to all the, the photography in the world and, and, you know, and Kodak and the, and the stories about the digital camera and so on. And your story is like making this whole world even more interesting. It's something new. That you put into this um I don't know shaky, but this um not easy to to deal with the world of of film and cameras and the the change that happened there, yeah, I think you know other than having children, I think yeah. that, right, which is creating something you know unique in the world um yeah. you know I think if you can do if you're lucky enough you know to be able to do something like that in the business world, um you know that's a blessing. And I think it in is. my case, it really was desperation. I, you know, my hmm. company was failing. It almost failed twice. And, you know, it was desperation, desperation to feed my kids and to survive and the hundred lives that I had working for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you consider that. People don't realize that as an entrepreneur. If you've never run a company, you know, and you have a whole bunch of employees working for you, you feel responsible sure. for them. You know, sure. you know their life stories. You know the paycheck that they're earning is, you know, feeding their kids and, you know, paying the bills and the mortgage and all of that stuff. And when your company is failing, it's on you to fix it. So I think in my case, I remember sort of sitting there watching our small stores go out of business, watching the film business go away, you know, behind my desk sort of fuming and fulminating and, you know, upset. And I figured I got to fix this, take a risk, do something, you know, and try to reinvent the business. And I think it was just desperation that forced me into that. And, you know, I was blessed. It, it ended up working out. Hmm. Um, it sounds great. And I would like to ask you, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that related to customer focus, marketing or sales today? And I don't mean to hear a recommendation to the shiniest or last technological tool in the market, but I try to figure out or I want you to recommend of a tool that you use and really help you to give a better service or approach customers different? What tool do you use? Okay, so I'm going to answer that question in multiple parts. And the reason I'm going to do that, or I should say in, in a multiple way, is that I use technology in a way to become much more efficient. And when you use technology to become more efficient, you don't necessarily rely on any one tool. You rely on a system that you put in place in order to be very organized and very prompt. And so for me, 
what I did was everything that I did was digitized. I used to, I used to laugh. People would hand me a piece of paper and I would say, what is that? Hmm. So everything I had was digitized. Everything I had was in the cloud. Every piece of information that I ever needed was accessible from my smartphone. I had my schedule in there. So I used the full set of Google tools, Google Calendar, Google Docs, Gmail, organized my life so that I could instantly have access to any piece of information I wanted. Sales information was always updated in either a Google Sheet or an Excel spreadsheet, which I would always have on me. I would keep track of customers that way. I would interact with customers on social media that way. So it allowed me through one device, either my PC or through my phone, I would be able to have access to all the information that I needed at all times in an organized fashion. People used to be amazed. They'd be like, do you remember what happened? I'd boom, search, find the email, find this, find that, know where stuff was, know the price of stuff. So it's that overall organizational method that you use in the cloud using all of these sort of free tools that are available to you that make you the most efficient. So there's not really one thing. And, and if one thing would, you know, many times you use a product, it goes away. I was not dependent on any one thing. I could just switch to something else, which, you know, happened frequently. Uh, you know, I was once a Blackberry yeah. addict, a Crackberry, you know, that mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, sure. Right. I would tell you one time my Blackberry was my greatest tool. You know, today it's no big deal, obviously. Smartphone. No big deal. No. Right. Smartphones do all of that. So you just sort of ebb and flow with the technology, but you use it in a cohesive way to be more efficient, more organized, and keep track of every piece of data you need quickly. And what I do like, and I think today we are all capable of using it, is that you mostly look for the free tools. Yeah, yeah. You said that you used, you found the free tools, and it means that you can be very professional using free tools. You just have to combine them together, I guess, in the yeah. right way. That's right. I mean, I, and I'm not adverse to using, I mean, we had very sophisticated software running our company, retail software, you know, inventory management, you know, you know, we had, we had a, you know, customer management. It was custom written. It wasn't a bought product. It was a custom written product, but even still, I mean, very sophisticated software, but personally, personally, yeah. I have an aversion and aversion to buying software. Hmm. You know, there are many factors that uh, actually uh, affect success. However, I believe that every successful person has one unique factor that really works for them best. And I want to ask you, what is your key success factor? What really made it for you? Okay, I'm going to give you two because, you know, I never like to just give one. I like to talk. <laughs> okay, really, I'll sort of phrase the question. You know, we, we phrase this question here in the, in the following way, like, Do you have a superpower or something like that? You know, it's, it could, that question could be asked in a funny kind of way. Um, so the two things that I would say, number one, is that, um, and I think this comes from my a Jewish mother who could always tell whether you were telling the truth or not, uh, <laughs> is I have, I can read people very, very well intuitively. And that wow. makes you a very, very good negotiator. It makes, yes, you, good, it makes you a good boss. I understand how to read people and how to relate to them. Almost any person, you know, when you can talk to somebody and you understand them and they feel like they're being understood, even when they're too shy or they just can't tell you what they're thinking, it makes a big difference in your relationship with your staff. And when you're in negotiation, when you can see through, sort of see the other person and kind of know where it's going, it really helps you. So that's a, a you know, a given talent. I thank God for that. It is. 
you know, to be able to do that, to be able to read people and know when they're telling you the truth and when they're sort of exaggerating <laughs> um, and so on. Um, and then I would say the other one, and this comes from just being through the fire in my life. And if you read my leader of the pack book, you'll, you'll actually see that I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This is that I never quit. Hmm. You never quit. You quit when you win. Yeah. You quit when you win. And that sometimes means you have to work relentlessly. You know, us entrepreneurs, you know, the saying for entrepreneurs is we work 80 hours a week, so we don't have to work 40. <laughs> um, but you may have to work 80 hours a week for five years straight. Yeah. And so if you want something badly enough and you're willing to do it, you may have to just work relentlessly. It doesn't matter how many failures you have, how hard it is, how difficult the obstacle is. If you sometimes to be successful, you just have to keep at it. Be, be moral, be good, work hard, do the right things, and just don't give up and you'll win in the end. And that's basically the story of my life. Like I said, you can read it in my Leader of the Pack. It is, and it's a great advice, I think, also. And now we came to the last question before I ask you what the best way to connect with you. But the last question is my mountain question. And since I always imagine this uh, journey that we are doing in trying to build some idea, take ownership of a brand or a field in the mind of the customer, I always imagine it as climbing a mountain. step after step mm-hmm. after step and then having to climb another mountain and I think your story is exactly that I want to ask you and I love to ask my guests whether you ever climbed the mountain and I'm talking about a real mountain a mountain practical mountain literally or wish to climb a mountain or have some plans on climbing mountains and Do you have any relationships with mountains at all? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'll start by saying I saw this movie Everest. Yeah. It's like an amazing, it's an amazing yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. About them. Yeah. And you sort of say to myself, well, that wasn't very smart, you know, anyway. Um, but I understand the thrill of it. So other than I've never really applied, you know, cleats on my feet and ropes and stuff to climb a mountain. Yeah. That's not really my speed of, of thing, but I love mountains and I always seek out or almost always seek out mountains in the locations that I go. So for example, my daughter was married in Israel oh. uh, three years ago. And of course, I had to go to Masada oh. because when you are up there, okay, you know, you go up on a cable car. It's not exactly like I'm not claiming that I climbed the thing. Because when you're up on a mountain, you're, it's, you really are closer to God. It's a spiritual feeling. Mm. I know that when I went to, when I go to Montreal, I don't know if you've yeah, ever been to Montreal. Yeah, sure, the mountain there is. There's a beautiful Mount Royale. When you go up and you're about two thirds of the way up, there's the most magnificent view. Right. You know, so I've been there. It's, right, it's a really, really, right. It's, it's just a spectacular place to actually, you know, look over Montreal. Um, And when I, whenever I've been to places, I take, I'm a photographer, love mountain photography. I have amazing pictures of Mount Rainier out in the West. So I feel very spiritual when you get to the top of hmm. something. Um, you know, and so I really do have a connection to mountains. I do like that high vantage point. For me, it is a very spiritual thing. And life is like that. You know, climbing a mountain is sort of building right. to the peak. I can even liken that to Hanukkah, right? You <laughs> light one candle. 
you know, there's a certain amount of spirituality that goes with one candle and power. And as the days go, you increase and you get bigger and bigger and bigger until you're eventually lighting them all and you feel the power mm. of all of that. Yes, it's beautiful. And I would like to ask you uh, to send one, of, one or two or few of your photos about mountains and we can put it in the show notes and I'm sure we will all enjoy that. I would love to do that. Anytime a photographer, you know, I am a... Uh, Panasonic Lumix ambassador IHM photographer for them so anytime I get to show my work any place you know we're all sort of like that we like people to like our photography so I'm <laughs> waiting for your mountain uh, photos yeah. and my last question is just how uh, what is the best way to connect with you for any one of our listeners that would like to be in touch well having been an early adopter of social media I actually claimed my name everywhere so mm-hmm. I am M. Sweetwood everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. That's M Sweetwood and msweetwood.com is my website. And I am very active on social media. I promise if you tweet at me, you like, you comment, you, whatever, you connect with me, I will connect and interact with you. It's M Sweetwood everywhere, msweetwood.com. You can even find my book, Leader of the Pack. There, obviously, there'll be a link there to uh, get the book. And we'll put the link to the book and all the links to your social media pages in the show notes of this uh, interview. And Matt, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's really been a pleasure being on, Hyatt. Um, it's so nice. It's so nice to talk to you and, you know, share with your listeners a, a little bit of my adventures. Hmm, thank you so much. It has been great conversation. It was very interesting for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well. And take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. See you soon. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, happy Hanukkah. (laughs) Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.